Ivan the Terrible, 1530 to 1584. Let us continue to recount pages of Russian history. We already mentioned last time that the Russian lands finally united around Moscow during the reign of the powerful Prince Vasily III. But he died suddenly when his heir, Ivan IV, was only three years old. Consequently, the Boyar Duma, the council of the richest and noblest boyars, or nobles, of Russia, ruled the country until his majority. Unfortunately, in the Duma were various groups of boyars that constantly contended among themselves for power and wealth, not thinking of the government nor of the people. Because of this, in Moscow there was often public unrest, hunger, conflagrations, and epidemics. All of this, the boy Ivan IV saw with his very own eyes, and it had a great influence on his personality and his further destiny. At the age of 17, Ivan IV married and then was solemnly crowned as a Tsar. It was the first time a Russian prince was officially designated Tsar, the Russian king. In 1549, Ivan IV convened the first Zemsky Sabor, land council or parliament, of all the distinguished men of, of Russia from each of its regions. The Tsar addressed the meeting with a long speech in which he called upon all present to unite their strength and create a new Russian state. In these years, New laws were passed, and progressive governmental reforms were introduced. For example, agencies of the central administration of the government, which were called presidential departments, were created. The Tsar's officials who had great powers were sent to administer the various regions of Russia. These officials were called voivodes. A standing army called the Streltsy troops was formed, and the soldiers were called Streltsy, or shooters. Throughout the country, free people's schools... Uh, for teaching of literacy were opened. These reforms strengthened the Tsar's powers and curtailed the power of the boyars. As a result, the boyars, both at the center and in the provinces, opposed the Tsar's reforms, and Ivan IV constantly had to contend with them. The internal struggle in Russia was complicated by wars with Lithuania, who attacked the western Russian lands, with the German Livonian order on the Baltic coast, and also with Romanian Tatar Khanids, Kazan, Astrakhan, and Crimea. The Tatars at that time constantly raided Russian lands, devastating them and leading the people away to sell into slavery, mainly to Turkey, which at that time was waging prolonged wars in Europe and was in, therefore in need of fresh troops. The Kazan Khanate was closest to Moscow, and for that reason, Ivan IV determined to conquer it first. However, the initial two expeditions to Kazan were unsuccessful. In preparation for the third campaign, Ivan IV collected a large army, 150,000 men and 150 cannons. With this army, he went to Kazan in the summer of 1552. The siege of the city lasted two months, and it was only in October when the Russians breached the walls of the fortress that Kazan was taken. The Astrakhan Khanate was soon overpowered as well. The taking of Kazan opened for the Russians the way to the Urals and to Siberia. Some territories, like the Bashkir lands in the Urals, or those of the Nenets in the far north, willingly joined the Russian state, as these peoples thought the strong Russian state would ensure that none of the neighboring peoples would dare seize their lands. However, there were others who did not wish to submit to the far-off Tsar, and who displayed armed resistance to the first Russian Cossack detachments. The Ottoman Cossack chieftain, chieftain Ermak, who acted bravely but sometimes rashly, led one of these detachments. His force was not large, but Cossacks had firearms at first muskets and even small cannons. 
The Tatars and other peoples of Siberia had at this point no such weapons. Ermak quickly seized a large stretch of territory between the Irtish and Ob rivers and proclaimed them to be part of the Russian realm. But at one point, a Siberian Khan succeeded in outwitting Ermak, attacking him at night. A large part of the detachment and Ermak himself were killed. But a small part of the force managed to cross the Irtish and return to central Russia in order to receive fresh reinforcements and then crush the forces of the Siberian Khan. The conquest of Siberia continued for almost 200 years, but its beginning was in the reign of Ivan IV. The figure of Ivan IV is quite contradictory compared to his father and grandfather. Observing the intrigues of the boyars, afraid for his own fate, Ivan IV was getting gradually becoming a secret, secretive and vengeful person. This was especially apparent after the sudden death of his beloved wife Anastasia in 1560. He put aside his former close advisors and supporters and began to persecute any boyars who for any reason criticized him. And then he suddenly quit Moscow, established himself in one of the monasteries near the city, fearing that the boyars would set out against him. But at that point, the Muscovites feared the boyars more than the Tsar, and consequently sent a delegation to him requesting that he resume his rule. Ivan IV agreed to return, under the condition that new reforms be adopted and the boyars be further weakened. The entire Russian territory was divided into two parts. In one part, the Zemshina, or Zemsky lands, the boyars and local authorities ruled. In the other part, the Oprichnina, the Tsar himself ruled, along with his new military force, the Oprichniki. Detachments of Oprichniki became the Tsar's personal guard, for which young men were selected according to their personal devotion to the Tsar. In return for this, they were granted unlimited power. They began to terrorize not only the Zemsky boyars, but the rest of the population of the country as well. They could accuse any person of treason against the government and conspiracy against the Tsar and could torture and execute the accused without trial or investigations. There were no laws or limits for the Oprichniki. They seized the lands and residences of rich boyars and princes, whom they killed or sent to some distant part of the country, and then divided these lands among themselves or gave them to friends and relatives. At this time in Russia, the first emigrants, emigres, appeared, who tried to flee the Tsar's mission and find asylum in European countries. The most famous of these emigrants was Prince Kurbsky, a one-time supporter of the first reforms of the young Ivan IV, but now a bitter opponent of the Oprichnina and of the repression of the boyars and other people without trials or investigations. It was at this time that Ivan IV became known among the people by the name Ivan the Terrible, or Ivan the Dread, for his endless repressions and cruelty. But increasingly, the Tsar could not control his suspiciousness and sudden outbreaks of anger. One day, while arguing with his son, in a fit of mad rage, he hurled his royal staff at the young man and mortally wounded his heir. This scene is depicted in the picture Ivan the Terrible and his son by the Russian artist Ilya Repin. The Tsar himself at times was horrified by his evil deeds and offered up prayers and repentance, but he could not change his behavior. In addition, although he considered himself a Christian, he could not brook any restraint upon himself, even from the church. The Patriarch of Moscow, Philip, who often interceded for convicted people who were innocent, was himself removed by force to a far-off monastery and then killed by the order of the Tsar. In 1569, the Oprichniki sacked and looted the towns of Tver and Novgorod, which did not want to obey the mad Tsar. 
A great many peaceful inhabitants were killed. The towns were burned, but the rebellion was put down. At last, Ivan the Terrible himself began to fear his own Oprichniki. In 1572, by his own command, the Oprichnina was officially abolished, and Oprichniki themselves began to be executed. All of this is very reminiscent of Joseph Stalin, who in the 1930s executed and repressed not only people who opposed the communist ideology, but very often even his own supporters, fearing they may rise in opposition to him. It was not without reason that Ivan the Terrible was Stalin's favorite Tsar. Stalin even ordered S. Eisenstein to make a film about Ivan the Terrible. Stalin liked the first part of the film, but when in the second part, S. Eisenstein depicted the unbridled cruelty of the Tsar, Stalin suppressed the showing of the second part of the movie in theaters of Soviet Union, and effectively, S. Eisenstein lost the opportunity to work by order of Stalin and lived out his last years in disgrace. After Ivan the Terrible, the times of troubles, time of troubles began in Russia, but that we'll discuss next time.